Hello, and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Jean Pelleccio. Uh, if you're seeing me again, then that means good news. The first video episode worked. We're doing another one. Um, so today, just like last time, um, we're going to be having a nice little discussion about theater. Um, and I have two guests with me tonight. Let me bring them in. Where is my fade? There we go. Um, so coming back, um, I've had them on the program before to talk about um, their piece, Ground Effect. Uh, I have playwright Jonathan Alexandratos. And hey, I everyone. Forgot to, I forgot to check again. That is correct, right? Absolutely. Boom. Got it. You nailed um, it. <laughs> I try. That's my one victory for the day. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, I have Elephant Reproductions artistic uh, associate. Uh, Latrice Smith, who has been with us for years and is irreplaceable and wonderful, and we love her. Oh, you're too sweet to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was saying right before we started the call um, that I, I realized this morning while I was setting this up that um, I forgot whether or not I made it clear that this was going to be a video episode, so I just, the I remember thinking, like, I should probably let them both know. Also, I really hope Jonathan is wearing their blue lipstick because it's amazing i mean what am i not you look good too but i mean come on looks i get i i can't compete you can't compete where you don't compare man (laughs) um so last time we were talking about um streaming theater we had a really meaty healthy conversation about that um so i wanted to kind of transition along to Another topic that I've been very interested to talk about and I've been interested to get different opinions on, um, and that is the uh, the idea of non-traditional um, gender, uh, race, um, and even non-binary casting uh, in theater. Um, now, obviously, as a cisgendered white male, I am the most appropriate person to spearhead uh, this topic. Um no, it is uh, it is because of that reason actually that I I wanted the two of you um, to chat with me on this because I feel like I have certain opinions on it, um, many of which are cultivated with care. But I'm sure, just being that my experience does not necessarily match everybody in theater, that there are I might have some blind spots. So um, I'm interested to kind of getting the ins and outs of this uh and i'm really excited to have both of you on to talk to me thank you really excited to be here and obviously too like everything that i would say also comes with the sort of asterisk of blind spots because goodness knows like i mean i have my own um as well so i think that'll be really kind of interesting to navigate a little bit yeah for sure i mean it's why we get these different perspectives um you you can't speak to you know, every different subgroup or end genre. So it's nice to be able to talk to peers um, that have different backgrounds from you to kind of figure out what those blind spots are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess just the, the best way to kind of jump into it um, would just be, um, you know, generally just like to get people's kind of first impressions on a topic. Um, so you know, obviously we are seeing a lot more today uh, in the way of non-traditional casting. Uh, sometimes I think we can all agree it's, it's 
it's revolutionary and it's handled very well and other times maybe it's misguided maybe it misses the mark um so just just to start out what is um i guess i can say when's the first time uh each of you remember seeing a casting whether it was a full cast or even just one character that you felt was more inspired um by the talent of the performer versus a need to fit a particular role for me i think it was um i'm not sure what year it came out but it was the um abc version of cinderella with you know you know what's funny i'm cutting to a picture of it on screen right now um <laughs> because i had it queued up ready to go because i was gonna i knew that was gonna be my <laughs> answer too yeah, that's like the first one that comes to my head that really, um, I remember being like, whoa, like, wait, what is this? <laughs> like, what is happening as a child? Um, yeah. But actually, not even really, not even really questioning it, just being like, no. Oh, and that was, that's why that's I think that one works so well. It's because they're, they didn't, um, they didn't cop to anything. They didn't, uh, it wasn't, it didn't seem like stunt casting at all. Everybody, there was no argument that those actors were those characters that were right. And I actually, I, I have it pulled. I should have had it pulled up already because, um, uh, I knew that we were going to talk about it, but, um, just to kind of describe what is on screen right now. So you've got Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. Brandy is Cinderella, which off the bat, it's it's not uncommon to, you know, race bend a classic character like that. But where this movie was really ambitious is you've got Whoopi Goldberg as the queen. You've got um, Victor Garber as the king. And for no, with no explanation given or needed, you have uh, Palin Maltabon as the prince. And they even had in the, even the stepsisters. You've got um, yeah, Bernadette Peters is a stepmother with um, two stepdaughters. One of them is a person of color. Um, it's I I've seen countless writings on that subject of how brilliant that casting is. Uh, Jonathan, do you, did you grow up on that special? Well, so no. Um, I grew up on Transformers, which you really can't talk about <laughs> okay. in the context of non-traditional casting because they're all robots. But uh, though that, oh, that we're going to talk about animation at some point today too. Because yes. well, I mean, and I was going to bring it up a little bit because you know, if you watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the guy who voiced Shredder was the uncle from Fresh oh, yeah. Prince of Bel Air, so if you can kind of make that mental leap, which I was doing kind of early because I'd learned that kind of early. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So you know that now one voice can clearly work for multiple bodies. So you have to sort of expand that then um, into the realm of theater. But um, I think theatrically speaking, you know, the first time I ever really became aware of it was when um, I would see plays that were about historical figures and the people they cast to play those historical figures did not look like the textbook version of those historical figures. Now, the... Well, how many Tony but, Awards does Hamilton have? Right. So, <laughs> exactly. So there's that. And that I sort of came to whenever that came out. But there were other 
examples where I guess the earlier examples of this in my mind are examples where in my head the character is like a stuffy old white guy and on the stage it's a young white guy now that's not really the greatest example of like diversity or you know doing anything with with that but that was sort of my earliest like oh okay so Isaac Newton in Lucas Nate's Isaac Isaac's eye can look like that or Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Poe can look like that in um, Nevermore, that musical. They're still white guys, um, but they're now different. So now my mind, of course, goes to the next step from that, which is to say, well, what if we blew that up even more? Like, what if we exploded that even more, like the way Hamilton kind of did, and really started to open that up? Because if we're already gonna just sort of check out the window, the like whole thing about, oh, this no longer has to look like your textbook, then great, let's open that up to everybody, races, genders, et cetera, just do that. Yeah. I think for me, it, I mean, obviously you can't, I think it's very hard um, to find someone who is not aware of the Cinderella in any way, but I'm I'm going to go a different route and talk about a uh, a piece of theater I saw as a young child when I was a uh, when I was a kid. My mom my would always get um, Walnut Street Theater uh, subscriptions, and we would always you know every couple months we'd go to see whatever show they were doing. Uh, and they did a production of Annie once, and uh, I remember there was a brilliant african-american actress that was cast as um miss hannigan and i even as a young child i you know i'd grown up on the movie i'd seen the show before there was they didn't they didn't have an african-american rooster but there is there was no question in my mind this is miss hannigan um i i had i i that show is very very important to me uh and i have a lot of i've seen it done incorrectly um, that's one of those shows where if you, uh, if you do that show the way it's written, it's great. If you don't, I'm going to be mad. Um, but, the, it's, but she, I mean, especially just singing little girls. I looked at her, I was like, that's, that's Miss Hannigan. I mean, I was also, I was, I was blown away by the effect of as she sings the last note, they just kind of like on a, the stage just kind of moved her off. But, um. That that doesn't really speak to her race as it does the uh, the effects of the sage. But it, that was my that was my first kind of glimpse into the world of like just because it's been cast a certain way in the past doesn't mean it has to be cast this way now. I was in a production in ninth grade of the play Greater Tuna, which I don't know. If oh, you're... I've heard. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Right. So uh, my, I a... my boyfriend has like a, a burning desire to do that show someday. Yeah, so it's an interesting show. I mean, there are elements to it that I sort of wonder about now. And I also wonder, in hindsight, if we should have been doing it in ninth grade. But um, it was it was (laughs) a hard sell for middle for, I guess, that. (laughs) I I mean, and it was also in the South, too. So that was. um, Yeah. the, the reason I'm thinking about it is because so many people apparently wanted to be in Greater Tuna and they didn't want to tell anyone no. So they cast um, two casts. So like there's an A cast and a B cast. And isn't it, my, isn't it a two-hander? It's no, Greater Tuna um, has like, it's, the, it's a two, it's 
it's got the two main characters who are the hosts okay. of the radio station, but then there's all the other ones that are like the town. Okay. Um, and my the part that I played um, in the play was Jody Bumiller, who in the B cast was played by a girl at my school. And the, I remember when that casting decision, like mine was the only one where there was sort of a gender difference between the two casts. The other one was right. like male or male and female, female. But um, I remember there being like kind of a discussion about that. Um, now I love it because I've come out as non-binary and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Like there's yeah. another little notch in my belt or whatever. That's how it is in my mind. I don't think it yeah. actually is that, but I think that's how it registers. Um, and I remember thinking in that moment, like, oh, interesting. So you can take these parts and think creatively gender wise about them. Yeah. And um, even so much as seeing it uh, as a masculine person one night and then, you know, a, a young woman the next, um, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, actually, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, damn, yeah. Damn no, Zoom. Was, um, I, the, I, I kind of, as you guys have been, thinking about this even go or talking about this going farther back I'm thinking of my first experiences in the theater um, with these things and I think at first they didn't register to me in this question because it wasn't as a child a thing that we even thought about like our eighth grade musical was Annie um, and I played Miss Hannigan um, and I, I went to I was lucky enough to go to a school that was um, an elementary school that was quite diverse and was um, quite immersed in the arts. So I had from a very, from like the first or second grade, I'm um, having these experiences where we did Oliver Twist and you know, half of the cast uh, were people of color. Um, and it was never a thing that was like necessarily discussed or, um, explicitly talked about. So it's something that's registering to me now is these things that kind of like help to shape, I guess, um, my ideas and views and, and the way that I look at theater and, um, you know, gender bending and race bending, because there were a lot of times, like I'm, I'm pretty sure in Oliver one, we had like an A cast and a B cast and I yeah. believe one we it's inevitable uh, it's something that i have had to grapple with as a education director as well um my partner and i constantly we actually just did um our first well almost did our first double cast show in like three years um because two days before we were supposed to go up the world ended so um but uh no that that was a you know that it was a challenge for a while because the camp we worked at didn't have a cap on um on the classes which you know from from a business perspective it was amazing for the theater because you had so many children and so many parents that wanted their children uh enrolled but you know once once you get 60 kids in beauty and the beast um it's you know something had to give so that was, that was a beast um, of your own. yeah yeah um well it's actually it's funny you brought that up because I, I didn't even have this as uh, a discussion topic but we kind of launched it off into it um you do see a lot more of it in the education world um especially because um yeah i mean obviously well one you have you have more 
actresses than actors in a younger age generally um but i mean you also it's when you when you approach it from an education standpoint then it's really more about teaching the craft than it is uh you know being a thousand percent accurate i mean the best actually i can't believe i forgot about this um but going back to annie i my partner directed annie years ago and i was the assistant director and our franklin delano roosevelt was an african-american girl um and i just remember we were trying to cast it and a twinkle just went into his eye and he goes okay go with me on this and as soon as he said it, I was like, yes, of course that's who she's playing, because she's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, Jonathan, you kind of unintentionally segued into something I had uh, cooked up when you brought up Greater Tuna, but um, what... Do either of you have thoughts on... Um, I don't want to necessarily call it drag casting, but... I'm talking about roles that are specifically, they are gendered roles that are specifically written for the opposite gender. So you like the, you know, Hairspray, Matilda, and things like that. I, I The reason I bring it up is I, I actually saw a comment recently about the Matilda movie. I have never seen Matilda on stage. I'm, I have no idea if it's a good or bad show. It's Tim Minchin. I can't imagine it's bad, but, um... They had announced that Ray Fiennes is going to be playing uh, Trunchbull in the film. And someone who was unaware of the convention of the stage musical posted a very angry comment saying, no, let stop this, let women play women. And I was like, well, they, they didn't just decide this. The character is traditionally played by a male actor. Um, but, I mean, I couldn't actually answer the effectiveness of it because I haven't seen the show. So what are your thoughts on, on characters like that? And when does it, when does it work and when does it not quite work? So I think we've had two examples lately of um, cases that have made me really uncomfortable uh, with that. Uh, The first is the recent musical Tootsie and then Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, which is, I guess now it's been in the works and I don't know where its status is in terms of coming over here, but um, my concern with, uh, with things like that is they, they are built on a foundation of a really unfortunate wing of humor that basically makes fun of men who have to do feminine things and they have to do them for some convoluted reason. Right. Uh, Usually to get a woman. Uh, which it is in both of those cases. Um, so to me, um, you know, it, it, it's really hurtful actually to, to see that. And then to see the advertising material for something like Tootsie where, you know, it's got the, the male character in drag shaving. Right. And the joke is the joke is not like, here's a, a drag performer. The joke is like, yeah, oh, ha ha, isn't it funny that any woman would ever have to shave her face? And it's like, yeah. well, plenty of women do, you know, and it's it's not like I, I worry that that is not um, really adding or advancing our social conversation here about gender. So I'm really concerned Fair. about yeah. where that takes us. Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely agree. It feels a lot of these times that uh, 
the their the, the comedy is at the expense of um rather than it it being something um that we're actually exploring and actually exploring what it means um for or the, the, this kind of uh, gender, or I guess it's not gender bent, but um, for this kind of role, we're not exploring what that means for the world that we're in. It's kind of like, oh, ha, 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 a man in a dress, how funny. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which, you know, is leans in towards like sexism and transphobia as well, um, yeah. which isn't a place as um, that, we want to move towards i think as a right. theater community yeah, i think I, you can make the argument at least for at least in its in its um at least that it's genesis um the convention with hairspray where um in the in the original film with which it's based on you know divine was a very prominent uh drag performer uh in the John Waters universe, um, and I and I, you know, I understand. I have never seen, I've never seen Hairspray on stage. I've seen the film, um, and I've seen, you know, I, I've done a junior version. But you know, I get that the the idea of casting a male actor there. I understand that it's kind of servicing the memory of um, what came before, but you know again you're not always casting a drag performer or uh so that that that's where i think it gets that's one of those things where i don't think the role itself is problematic i think you just have to take care with how it's presented yeah because i think that drag i mean drag performers they are absolutely worth you know honoring and and you know presenting and 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 really holding dear and in, in all the ways that we we do like i'm thinking rupaul's drag race and stuff like that but um once you drift away from i think the message of like hey here's a drag performer and you go into here is a cis man look at how funny they look in a dress that's where i think we have an issue because I think when you, when, yeah, when you are um, incorporating a drag performer, that, uh, that it's an art form. Drag is an art. And you're kind of, you're, ex you're experimenting with and commenting on and um, figuring out what femininity and womanhood is and what that means rather than as we've been saying, putting a man in a dress and it's funny to yeah. watch a man fumble around in heels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, I have a personal experience with that from a couple of years ago. There is um, there's a company that I have been working with for years called Renaissance Music Theater um, in Philadelphia. And uh, the first show I did with them was MAME, which is a show that is... so. If you've ever listened to The Trumpet and you hear how many of the theater examples i give at the end that involve mame you'll know how much i love that show and love that character um and the actress that was playing mame was a she was a lovely woman um she just wasn't mame and it was i think it they came to a mutual decision midway through the rehearsal process this just isn't working out um we wish you the best and we had a music rehearsal and the director had said you know kind of 
held off as long as he could saying this, but he said, you know, we basically have three options right now. Um, we either scramble to find a new MAME, we cancel the show, which we don't want to do, um, or option three, I'm going to be playing MAME. And at first we were concerned. Um, and then as soon as we, we started a music rehearsal and as soon as he sang the part, we realized it was the first time, at least at least for me, it was the first time I had heard that character. And as we went along, he took great care to play the character of Mame, not play a guy playing Mame. And I think that is, he also made the joke that, um, and I can't exactly disagree with him on this. Um, he goes, I can't imagine Jerry Herman would have a problem with this. In fact, I feel like Jerry Herman wrote most of his female characters so that he could play them someday. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, but th that's where yeah. I come from with that. I think it's, I, I definitely think that it, can be done it just needs to be done with care and i think in, that was an instance where it was definitely done it was it was done in service of a character versus in service of uh a convention or like yeah i think that's i mean i think that's a good example i think that you know what you described about being in a bit of a time crunch with the pressure and then this really um kind of creative solution to that solving it is really important but I think, you know, in the earlier stages of casting a new show, what you want to avoid are cases where you're casting, let's say, the part of MAME and you're boxing out people from that audition because they're trans or because they're non-binary or because they're of some ethnicity or race that you don't envision MAME to be or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that the, the time crunch stuff and when it's handled with as much care as you're describing, to me, that's, I, I would love to see that show. I think the shows that I stay away from are the ones where I'm like, oh, so-and-so really wanted to play that part, but was told they can't because of these different personal yeah. qualities they have. Well, then that'll, that kind of segues me into, um, you know, we talked about, uh, we talked about Cinderella and we talked about um, Hamilton. Do either of you have an example? Uh, I mean, Tootsie and Doubtfire aside, um, do either of you have an example of something that you have seen personally where there was a casting choice that it, it was a casting choice that defied convention, but it wasn't necessarily backed up by it wasn't backed up by honesty or justification for it. It was, I see. Interesting. It wasn't backed yeah. up by. It, it, it was one of those, uh, you know. I want to be. I want to take care in how I say this because I don't want to. I I don't want to give the wrong impression out. But I I think that there are there are some there are some points where. Um, oh, I'll give I'll give my example. Um, and that might bolster it up. Uh, the revival of Sweeney Todd with Patty Lapone and Michael Cerveris. Um. I've always had uh, I've always had a bad spot uh, in my head about that the casting of Pirelli in that they cast uh, you know there was a wonderful talented actress that was cast as Pirelli and she did play the character male um, I just don't think my issue was part of the crux of the story of Sweeney Todd is that he kills men and that the first woman he kills turned 
spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen Sweeney Todd since the 70s, um, the first woman he kills turns out to be the very woman that he had dedicated his life to avenging um, his wife. And I think that that's one of those instances where I am, I am, a, I'm always, um, I'm, I'm always in favor of seeing more roles for women and more roles for people of color and things like that. But I think in that instance, it took away from the gravitas of the climax of the show because Pirelli is also the first person we see him kill. Um, so I think you lose a little bit of that by having that non-conventional casting in that sense. Not, so I haven't seen this and I'm actually not sure that it, it came through to fruition. Um, but the all female Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, um, <laughs> Explain. There, <laughs> Explain I, to me. It's just um, so there was. I, I believe it was in 2018 or 2019. There was talks about um, an all glare, an all female Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I don't know if it was going to be a stage version off Broadway or a movie. I believe it was going to be a stage version off Broadway, um, but it is. If you know anything about David Mamet. Um, <laughs> this hyper masculine, um, insane language uh, that is—I mean, it's—it's it's a commentary on masculinity and all of these things that I don't know how well would work with women. You know, they actually—that reminds me of this. Actually, did get canceled, as far as I'm concerned. But there was. Um, there's been a trend in, I think, in Broadway and Hollywood. And as I said earlier, most of the time, it's a very good trend. It's to, um, you know, the fact that women are being given more of the spotlight, the fact that people of color, the fact that people in the LGBT community, um, especially when it comes to rebooted stories and uh, revived stories, um, I think it's wonderful. Where it absolutely would have missed the mark is there was a proposed Lord of the Flies remake that was supposed to be done with all girls. And even the author, time and time again, has said Lord of the Flies is a commentary on toxic masculinity. The point of Lord of the Flies, it, like, it is a male-centric story. Um, in fact, actually, someone wrote a brilliant takedown of what a female Lord of the Flies would be by just having all of them resolve their issues, you know, in a, in a competent, uh, sane manner because they're not, you know, 11-year-old hormonal-crazed boys. But, um, but yeah, to that, to that end. <laughs> it kind of goes off of what you were saying. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, that comment about, um, about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, about, um, Lord of the Flies, I would also add in there maybe 12 Angry Men. I know that that gets mm -hmm. um, sort of mixed up, but I, yeah. I, one of the things that I find compelling about the original 12 Angry Men is that it is men, and this is how they are handling this, and they're handling it badly, um, except for it's the one funny. I've actually, I've only ever seen, I've only ever seen one production of 12 Angry Jurors, um, mm -hmm. and it was 
Um, actually, ironically enough, it was with our artistic director, uh, Lauren Chover, mm-hmm. slash Lauren Krebs. Um, but um, uh, it was, it, it's funny because as I was watching, I knew just from pop culture and from hearing that term, I knew that it was 12 Angry Men. Um, and it was one of those things where I was, I went into it aware that it was being done with a multi-gendered cast. Um, and I went, and I went into it kind of, kind of wondering what the differences would be. And I mean, I do want to watch the film now, um, now that, now that you've brought it up again. And now that I'm thinking about it, um, it does sound like a story that I would enjoy seeing in its original form. I just don't know. I can't speak to what the difference would be because I haven't seen it that way. Yeah. But I, I totally mean, I, get I totally get it. Right, right. I guess the, the flip side to the conversation is that, you know, as someone who teaches a class on literature, right, mm-hmm. I try not to privilege one interpretation of something over another. So that Fair. sort of compels me to think when I see something like let's say an all-female um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, my first thought is, huh, I know how I interpret that story, which is pretty much the same as what everybody else here has expressed. But, you know, if this company wants to get together and try it out and see if we learn something, I guess that's the only way we'll learn at the end of the day. I might not necessarily see it that way, but if they want to give it a shot, you know, I, I also wouldn't stand in the way of that, I guess. I think the important thing is you there needs to be a reason for yeah. for the casting. If if it's a, you know if it's a new work then I am I'll be first in line uh to support mm-hmm. it. If it's it but if you are flipping the script on something and again I don't want to sound I don't want to sound disrespectful to those who do have uh a powerful point of view but if your if the mission statement is hey wouldn't it be crazy if fill in the blank was fill in the blank i feel like you might not be working with the best of um with the best of heart in in service of the art and the piece i think my frustration usually stems more from the question of why why the reboot at all when i know for a fact there are trans authors uh in playwriting in theater right now creating scripts specifically so that uh we can have modern trans characters on stage uh and they're getting nothing you know and they're amazing writers and i'm not even i'm not trying to plug myself here i can think of plenty of people who are fitting this bill and... Well, actually, I'll use you as an example because I was um, I was looking through um, I was looking through the uh, the cast breakdown of Ground uh, Effect before uh, this call because I I was trying to remember what you had listed and the non-binary character in that play you do specifically list it as non-binary any race and you I, I love that you give that freedom to uh to a casting director um to to take that um and and i love that you give that you give that opportunity to you're not boxing in there are very few characters actually in that show that are specifically designated uh you know as you have to fit in this box to play this role um 
which I wish I wish we could see more of. I think we're going in that direction. Yeah, and and that's also not to knock the work of someone like um, like Danye Love, who specifies, you know, this role must be played by a black person or a black queer person. Because I think also that you know being the flip side to this is is really important to like the specificity of that. Um, and he's specifically writing for that experience, and is like, no, no, you must be that. In that order, it's insane to- that you just threw that name out because I worked with him for like two days my first ever out of college theater job i was a teaching artist at a a school and he happened to be my co-teacher for like two days and i I have have not i have not heard i have not heard his name in six years oh wow Uh um so i need to catch up with him i still have his email somewhere i need to He's amazing and has done amazing work and has also put out amazing theory about theater specifically addressing kind of specificity of story versus um, other cases where it could be more general. Yeah. Well, I guess the la- one of the last uh, things I want to hit on, um, and uh, yeah, Jonathan, I did promise you we would get some animation question in here. Because um, even though, um, you know, even though we've, this is a theater podcast and we talk a lot about theater. Um, I have always had a strong passion for voice acting. Um, especially now that I'm a podcaster, um, and I have been, you know, doing my own readings. I've been listening to audiobooks, Um, and you know, I, I grew up on the Simpsons. I grew up on home movies. Uh, Lauren Bouchard is very notorious for what I'm about to ask, but, um, where uh where where is the line drawn on um gender and race uh blind casting in terms of animation um i want to use lauren bouchard as uh an example because uh lauren bouchard is notorious for this and i think again he does it with care and he does it in a sense of what's going to serve as the character but you know, look at home movies, look at Bob's Burgers. He's even got another show coming out uh, uh, called Central Park where, um, you know, there are male voice actors that play women. There are, um, you know, there are white voice actors that play uh, African-American characters. There are African-American voice actors that play white characters. Um, now, I am of the mindset, being a voice actor um, is you know having the ability to create any character um other people don't share that opinion um and i was i'm just curious um what are your oh excuse me i should not have had root beer with my cocktail because now i can't talk (laughs) um uh but no like what 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 are your thoughts on is there are there points where it's acceptable or not acceptable to break you know, your identity mold in terms of a character you're voicing? I think for me, it's, um, it's kind of, it's the steadfast rule also in theater as, as long as the, the character role you're playing isn't informed specifically by their race, uh, or their gender, um, identity. Um, like if the story specifically is about, you know, Uh, a young black kid from the inner city who is experiencing you know 
serious things that are that relate solely to his blackness then I don't think maybe um having a white male voice actor is the right choice for that but if something like Adventure Time or Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be something lighthearted like that but I think as long as you know race and gender identity aren't the core um subject and informing uh who the character is then yeah sure anyone can yeah i, I, I guess I, it's i oh, sorry go ahead no i'm just gonna agree entirely with what latrice said um i think that you know the big question that i think came up a few years ago was should hank azaria still voice apu on the simpsons right um and honestly the way i have sort of come down on that has kind of been like i think that moment has kind of passed where the white guy can sort of just do this sort of mock indian accent and that's kind of okay like i think we're i want to be past that there's a part of me that like wants to sort of demand that like there are you know indian voice actors the simpsons is quite successful they don't need to hire you know four people in a room anymore they can sort of branch out there's an opportunity to do that so i was kind of on the side there of the people who are like you know this is this is an ethnically specific character um and there's also this really terrible history of white guys doing these voices um just even yeah. as jokes and I'm, things. I'm thinking of i'm just thinking of the third episode of um uh god what's the easy sensory show um on netflix uh Oh. Is Ma- Master of None, where they yeah. show it. It's a five-minute montage of like you, the, the Ashton Kutcher commercial and the um, yeah. you know all of those uh, all of those things. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So I think being conscious of that stuff, I think, is is really good. I think on the the gender side of it, there have been some really interesting moments where trans. Uh, voice actors have played parts and have uh, we've gotten some really amazing I think characters out of that Uh, the person who voiced Meowth on Pokemon on the English version of Pokemon was a trans woman I'm Uh, sorry what you're giving me new information in real time I'm not not doing any kind of post edit on this episode this is I'm finding this out right now that's incredible the, so Meowth, the way Meowth worked was there was a there was a voice actor who did Meowth in like the first episode Meowth appeared, and then the voice actor who did it in every other episode past that was a trans woman, um, and that was me, was this if, was this actor um, was this actress out at that point yeah. or mm-hmm. yep that is that's insane how did I I can't believe I didn't know that yeah she I tried, tried to, to be very on top of these issues. She tragically passed away. Maddie Goldstein, I believe her name is. She tragically passed away of stomach cancer, but um, she was amazing. Um, right now, actually, I'm just going to pull down an action figure from my shelf. Uh, this is uh, Double Trouble from She-Ra, and this is the original Double Trouble. Now on the new She-Ra, Jacob Tobia voices Double Trouble. Jacob uh, Tobia is a non-binary Sorry, sorry about that. That's uh, West Philly. Oh, that's it's okay. Siren going. Well, there is a <laughs> Sorry, double go, trouble go, go, action go figure on screen. I don't blame people yeah. for being excited. 
Um, so, uh, Jacob Tobia is a non-binary activist and author and now voices the new Double Trouble, which has been totally uh, sort of remodeled. But the idea there of having someone like Tobia, having people in the trans community, where voice is really actually, I mean, it's a point of discussion a lot of times because as you, as some people um, sort of medically transition or go through transitions that are physical, oftentimes they ask the question of, well, what do I do about my voice? Some people would say, I want to do nothing about my voice. My voice is my voice. And that's totally valid. Some people, others, um, work with speech therapists to actually um, sort of change, modulate their voice, work on the way they they um, sort of pronounce things because it, it gives them more gender euphoria to do that, which is another thing that I totally support. Like, I think when you're trans, I think you should do whatever gives you the most euphoria. So voice comes up a ton in um, trans communities one way or another, whether it's I'm not changing it at all, whether it's I wanna work with a, a speech therapist to do it or whether it's something else entirely. So I think voice acting then has the opportunity to really embrace that conversation in trans people and understand the unique voices that often come out of that. Um, you know, sometimes even the voice doesn't change, but then when you put the voice together with comportment and affect and, um, you know, look and that kind of thing, you get um, some really cool results that I think are have been unexplored in a lot of uh, voice casting. And I think it'd be really great to promote um, people in the trans community who want to do that kind of voice acting and want to put themselves out there and want to try, you know, parts. Um, I think remembering Latrice's point about race along the way is still important. I mean, that's still something that you have to do. But if you are casting Double Trouble and you look at Jacob Tobia and you say, oh, I want them, then I, I think that's a cool choice. So I guess um, the, the best way to wrap up this discussion is looking forward uh to the future when this is all over and it will be all over soon uh well someday um but when we are when we are all together in the theater again performing um and casting and creating new works um where where do we go from here in terms of uh gender and race blind casting do you see do you think we will see do you think we will see more new works featuring these performers and featuring these different groups uh, and, uh, you know, people? Or do you think we will see more, um, you know, do you think we'll see more reinvention of pre-existing works uh, that are able to bring these people, uh, you know, people in these groups in the conversation? I think there are new works all the time that are including new people um, and exploring different things. I mean, um, pretty recently I worked on a show um, in which two of our um, main actors um, were non-binary uh, trans people. So, um, and they, the characters that they were playing they were playing fbi agents and it was actually um a word for word transcript fbi transcript um so kind of these things that you may not necessarily think of you know casting um a, a trans person or a person uh, a non-binary person 
but we're we're having this wider conversation and opening up these roles to them um that then add another layer of theatricality and um conversation because what what are the elements that adding um the casting in this blind way what does that add to the piece that we're working with so i think you know all of the new works that are going to come out of this really weird time people being in isolation um i think i think that's where we're headed i mean i mean i definitely think there's going to be some more Ghostbusters and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. I love that Ghostbusters. Let's not put that Ghostbusters. No, that no, no. Be... I, know. I didn't mean it in like a bad way. I just meant like more of like taking something old than making it new through um, casting in a different way. Point taken. I think what's great about that, and I, I, you know, I'll continue to make this argument every time people pee their pants about changes like that. Um, if you love the old Ghostbusters, that that movie still exists. They didn't. They if you love the old Star Wars, those movies still exist. They didn't erase those Star Wars just because they put a girl in it. Um, so, Can I like, tell you this? To, to yeah. that point, um, the best thing I've ever seen happen on a stage was I went to a stage reading of Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, which is easily one of the best star trek movies and they had the the cast up there some of the actors were in star trek some of them weren't and of course the question was who's going to play kirk because everybody you know you know it's not going to be william shatner thank god um and who's going to play kirk and as they're introducing kirk out walks uh mary stewart masterson and she plays kirk and she's amazing. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, so there's uh, there's that kind of way to complicate things, which I love. Um, I do think, though, to your earlier question um, about change and about the future, we can't have this change until we have an honest conversation about privilege, because people need to understand that doing things like um, taking Martin Luther King Jr. and casting a white guy is not the same as was, casting someone who's black as a role that's traditionally maybe white. You know, I was just talking about that. I forget what theater tried to do that. I was just talking about that the other day where mm -hmm. it was it, it, it was not just Martin Luther King. It was Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. Right. And they cast white actors and they republished the script with mm -hmm. a note in the front saying you may not change the race of these characters yep. unless also just no yep there was a i mean we there we could talk a whole nother hour about people who missed the mark on this there was a um there's a high school that did hairspray with an all-white cast and mm -hmm. their uh, their argument there's, there's, well, like, like, that's, a, I feel like the a, most common thing I've seen. Well, see, like, at least, like, shows like, um, uh, at least shows like Once on This Island, like, there is a version of that script that is about class instead of race, and you, and you can do that show with, uh, you know, with multi, with a multi-ethnic cast, but Hairspray, they, they literally, their answer, their, uh, their excuse was, well, I mean, we already told the kids we were going to do hairspray, and then we didn't get anyone, uh, you know, like that audition. So what were we supposed to do? 
and <laughs> they they didn't change the lyrics. They didn't <laughs> change anything. There's a there's a white kid on stage going, I can't see why people look at me and only see the color, the black of the berry, the sweet of the t-. yeah, um, awful. And to oh add God. insult to injury, it was it was a theater department in a high school that already did not have a predominant African American community and already did not have a prominent African American presence in the drama program. Mm. So don't do that show. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and that's that's the conversation that I'm afraid that um, theaters aren't having. That conversation about like who has held power and who deserves to be elevated because they've had power taken from them. And how do we create a system where um, where we do right by the people who have been um, oppressed in this way? Um, you know, when Danier Love, going back to him, speaks about the specificity of some of his roles, what I feel like he's doing is protecting a group of actors who otherwise might be brushed aside because some theater will say, hey, we've got this really great white guy, you know, he can do it. And uh, Donnie Love is taking a stand to say, no, like you can't do that. And I think that there's a place for for more of that in um, new works and in saying, you know, this role needs to be non-binary. If you can't find, if you don't have a non-binary person tough luck like don't do the show yeah. like it's it's you have like you have to elevate these people or this material is off limits to you yeah um well i totally agree and i think i, I it's one of those th- I, I see it with every every issue every argument every argument that starts with this is there, there's that meme that goes around about musical theater songs where um, there's always um, there's always the song in every musical, uh, this is the way things have always been done. Um, <laughs> it's like anytime anytime you use that as an argument, I think it's a it's a good spoiler for the end of the show and the end of the movie that you're gonna be pointed at and laughed at and you're gonna get left behind. So. I, I look forward to I look forward to seeing where we go. I look forward to more Hamiltons and more uh, more you know script flipping uh, as we go forward. Yeah. Uh, well, Jonathan and Latrice, thank you both so so much for chatting with me today. Um, I love that we have now two video trumpets up, and we're just gonna keep doing them. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Let me say thank you for the invite. You got it. Um, and for everybody else out there who is self-isolating and quarantining, keep up the good work. Um, stay safe, wash your hands, um, and tune in next time. Until then, I'm Robert Jean Falecchio, signing off. Awesome.